You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Subro on the Go. We've got an exciting one today, uh, a little nuance today on equine losses, which some of you may or may not have handled before. I know early on in my career, uh, gosh, going back, I've been firm 18 years now. Uh, this is David Briscoe of San Diego office, Cozen O'Connor, joined as always by my co-host Joe Rich out of our Miami office. But back when I started, the one of the first cases I handled as, as a young associate was um, a, a case where um, our insured horse had unfortunately and tragically um, uh, passed away and and we ended up having a claim um, as the paying subrogation carrier against a veterinarian who performed what we said a a below the standard of care examination of the horse and said you know the horse was just colicky and and didn't uh, and didn't do a proper thorough examination which our experts said would have involved doing a, a rectal examination on the horse that and if done would have you know prevented the um the horse's death and so this is really an interesting area of loss there's certainly um much more developed in that one case example i had so so we brought on um our resident expert and and attorney who started our equine law practice many many years ago suzanne radcliffe who's been practicing in segregation for over 20 years uh so suzanne tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background in uh in equine losses yes thanks dave and thanks joe both of you for having me on today um so I was that little girl that was completely horse crazy growing up. And when I got to about age 10, my parents realized it was not a phase. So they, they got me involved in, in riding uh, in Oklahoma where I grew up. And I ended up riding competitively through, uh, throughout high school. Um, and then I played polo for the University of Oklahoma for four years. And then after college, throughout law school, and, and really until I got pregnant with my daughter, I continued to ride competitively. It was always such a passion of mine. Uh, loved being around horses. And then when I was at the firm, you know, maybe a little bit like you, Dave, I was a younger associate, and we had a partner in Philadelphia that said, I have a client and his wife had a horse deal gone bad in Texas. Does anybody down there know anything about horses? And um, so I got the case and, and it was an exciting case involved, um, you know, a, a noteworthy uh, nationally recognized trainer and some hidden commissions in a sale. So uh, I realized, hey, this is an area of law where I speak the language. I, I understand what people are talking about and I'm passionate about it. Uh, and so I just looked for every opportunity I could find to learn about it and to uh, to continue working on these kinds of cases. So it's, it's really just a passion of mine. Um, and specifically within subrogation, it's been especially fun. Oh, wonderful. And, um, so, and for those that uh, haven't met Suzanne yet, she is also the office managing partner of our Dallas, Texas office. Um, and so you talk to us, Suzanne, about the kinds of losses that you we typically see. If somebody's in subrogation, they're uh, uh, typically seeing fire and water, several losses. And now they're they're being asked to oversee the equine losses. What 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 kind of losses are they going to typically see? Sure. So the types of losses that I think are the most common are 
you know, veterinary malpractice types of claims like you were talking about. Um, there's accidents where, um, you know, a horse is being transported or is injured in some way. Um, and, and really the policies these come through are equine mortality, um, also known as bloodstock type policies. Um, and these adjusters that work on these types of claims are super knowledgeable and really know their policies and really know their, um, you know, what they're writing. So, you know, under the equine mortality policies, uh, we see infertility policies from time to time. And then often like a care, custody and control, almost like a bailment that a, uh, a, a stable owner would have for horses that they do not own that are in their care, custody and control. So those are the types of claims that typically come up and involve horses. So Suzanne, when you get one of these claims, and this is going to be my first opportunity to tell a bad horse joke. So uh, I'll ask, I'll ask Dave this one. Dave, so how does one get a small fortune from uh, betting on horse racing? This is great because I think this is our first formal joke on the podcast. We may start a, a, a weekly or a It's a bad one, but joke. I'm going to ask it anyways. I have no idea how. You start out with a large fortune. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> no. we need a button to push. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we don't have any drums to bang on, but that's a pretty bad one. But Suzanne, uh, I just wanted to, you know, throw that in there. But when you have these cases, you know, my brain is running, you know, over time thinking about, wow, what type of experts do you need to use? You know, what type of causation and damages experts? Because, you know, we've been doing this podcast now for a while, and Dave and I really are starting to drill down on, you know, subrogation is so specialized now. You know, there are various fields. It's not just fire and water losses, right? And this is one of those, I think, highly specialized areas. So what type of experts are, are you working with regularly? So in these types of losses, um, I really find that having someone who's an equine law specialist, this is where um, I'm such a value add, I think, and, and people that do what I do are, because I know who these experts are. But, but as far as categories go, um, a lot of time you're looking for somebody who's offering a standard of care. Um, for example, uh, if a horse is injured while loading a trailer and the argument is the person that was loading the horse into the trailer didn't do it properly, you need to have someone who has expertise in loading horses, for example. Uh, so that's, you know, these standard of care experts are you know, when you say Severo is specialized, equine Severo is incredibly specialized um, within the, the larger field. Um, veterinarian uh, is often and almost always uh, an expert that you will need. It's typically going to be the treating veterinarian. But I always like to ask the question early on, um, you know, if they do feel like um, something was done that, um, that injured the horse, um, are they comfortable giving uh, an opinion as an expert witness? Because if not, you need someone else. And, and I find that a lot of times these veterinarians, they certainly don't want to testify against other veterinarians, but they often um, don't want to get out of their, their lane as far as a medical expert goes. So I deal, deal with them a lot. Uh, and then on the uh, damages side, the damages are very 
unusual um, in equine cases, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but you'll definitely need an appraiser. Um, different from, you know, a, a sticks and bricks type of several case where you have a fire and there's an adjuster that can come in and say, well, this is what, you know, they were insured for, we paid this, um, you know, here's the kind of the going market value for these types of houses. And when you have an equine loss, oftentimes they, uh, the horses are underinsured uh, intentionally um, because if an owner has 50 head of horses and they insure everyone to their full value, they'll be insurance poor. So a lot of times you see a scenario where an owner underinsures, so they have a little bit of coverage, um, but not to value. And so you really need to go out and get an appraiser to prove up your fair market value in these cases. So that's that's those are kind of the three major categories that I typically see that are a little bit different than in your um, run-of-the-mill subrogation case. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating to hear you talk about the you know sub subspecialty of some experts, right? You, you're talking with the loading expert there, and we see that in the traditional subro case all the time. You don't just want a garden variety electrical engineer when you have a product failure case like a like an exhaust fan fire. You want one who specifically specializes in that particular type of product, right? And so it, we see that a lot in subro where we're not looking for just that general category of expert, but somebody who subspecializes. And it sounds the same for for your field where, you know, you, yeah, it's not just somebody with the general maintenance of horses, but somebody who specifically specializes in, um, you know, the loading of horses and in, in, in your example. So it's fascinating stuff. Yes. Yeah, so Suzanne, when you have one of these cases, is there a list that you run down of potential recovery targets, you know, kind of like a checklist that you go through? And and before we get off, let me give you my second bad horse joke for the podcast. Ready, Dave? Yes, I um, love it. Here it I is. love it. Okay, so a guy was hospital. He a guy went to the hospital and he had six plastic horses in his stomach. What did the doctor say to him? What? You're in stable condition. Whoa. <laughs> so, Were these from ChatGPT? Where did these no, come from? No, these are not from ChatGPT. They're pretty bad, though. Uh, it's amazing <laughs> it's a good dad how many, joke. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many bad horse jokes are on, on the internet, but there are a lot of them. Um, so, Suzanne, when you go, when you get one of these cases, is there, you know, when Dave, like, Dave gave you the product liability analysis, you know, we usually look at original manufacturer, component part manufacturers, you know, who prepared the warnings, who sold the product. But in the equine scenario, what is sort of that checklist that you're running down? Sure. So it kind of depends a little bit on, you know, if you have a horse that gets sick and dies as opposed to an injury or something like that. Um, but as, as the representative for the owner, um, sometimes I'm looking at, let's, let's give an example of a, a horse that gets an injury. Um, I want to know where they were, um, you know, were they off their, their normal premises? Were they at a horse show? Is that, you know, is there someone that should have been, um, making sure that the area where they were was safe? Um, you might look at like a racetrack owner or showgrounds owner. Um, if they're being boarded somewhere than where they don't live with the owner, um, what does that boarding agreement look like? What is the stable owner's obligation to keep the horse safe and to keep them from, from getting injured? And then, um, you know, kind of as Dave mentioned early on, uh, is there a malpractice situation here? Um, is, should something have been caught that wasn't caught? Um, 
oftentimes, um, you know, we talk to horse trainers about scenarios. Um, they're not often a target, but occasionally you'll you'll get a horse trainer that uses some pretty um, unorthodox training methods and that could result in an injury. And is that something that that is uh, potentially actionable? That's below the standard of care. Um, and then outside of kind of the arena where you have, um, you know, people that are in direct proximity to the horse, you get like product manufacturers. Is there a product that started a fire that caused a barn fire um, or, or something that potentially could have caused an electrocution, something like that. And then I always look at the, the, the drugs and the feed, uh, you know, and vitamins, things like that. Um, are there deficiencies there that, that could have led to an injury or death of the animal? That's interesting. So it's, it sounds like as you talk about these types of cases, that there is the same urgency as in a typical several case when we get a case to, to move quickly in the investigation process. And so I want you to talk to us a little bit about, you know, when you get one of these cases come in the door, um, is, it, is it typically early on, um, like in a fire or flood case where you get a case and you've got to move quickly because in a fire case, we're obviously have a scene to protect and, and worried about spoliation, trying to get um, access to the evidence, trying to get the right experts out there, trying to get people on notice for a joint exam. That's our typical, you know, fire drill when there's a new loss. What's it like? What's the investigation process like for, for one of your equine losses? So this is very different. Um, so when you, you know, let's say you've got a water loss and you've notified three parties and you're holding the scene for a couple of weeks until you can get a joint exam and get everybody out there and you can pretty much keep things um, in the position that they were in at the time of the event. Um, when you have a dead animal, um, you know, there's health guidelines and, and things like that. And um, so spoliation is a potential concern. You obviously can't leave, you know, the carcass of a horse um, around or if, you know, if there's some sort of an injury or a loss of use, um, you know, it's a living, breathing thing and conditions change. So I always recommend that um, the veterinarian do a necropsy, which is like an autopsy for horses. They call it a necropsy. Um, you want them to take DNA to prove that the horse um, that you're claiming is dead is the horse that it is. Most of these registered horses, um, which are the ones that would typically be insured, have some sort of DNA proving who they are. Um, you know, there's concern about fraud at times where they think you, you, you go and shoot an old nag in the field and make a claim for, you know, your very nice horse. And so DNA is typically something that the carrier gets anyway. And then um, photographs showing the condition of the horse, uh, condition through the necropsy process, um, and also any condition that is relevant to, you know, how an injury occurred. If there's a hole in the ground where there shouldn't have been and the horse broke its leg, or, you know, if you've got a, a fire scenario or trailer accident scenario, photographic evidence is, is key. And then I always, you know, obviously try to get notice letters out there as quickly as possible and start that early communication and that dialogue. Oh, that, that's fantastic stuff. That really paints a picture, you know, for us. Um, uh, talk to us about, you know, uh, are there any applicable statutes like, in, you know, that may apply? Um, oftentimes in subro, we're dealing with, you know, it's state by state specific, right? But generally speaking, are there specific statutes that apply that give you standards of care or that sometimes may be a hurdle for us that prevent certain causes of action or pursuing certain parties? 
Yes, so in the equine world, they have what's called equine activity statutes. And you can go on Google and find, you know, most every state's equine activity statute. But let's, for example, let's, let's talk about Texas, which is where I am. Um, in Texas, a uh, farm owner must post a warning sign and it has to be clearly visible, you know, somewhere where everybody's going to see it. Um, and it has to have very precise language. You know, you can go on Etsy or something and order yourself an, a, a Texas equine activity statute sign and everybody does that. Uh, and what it does is if the if the owner of a stable posts this equine activity statute uh, language the way they should under the statute, then they are protected from liability for property damage, injury or death. Um, typically of a, of, a, of a rider, of a human being, but oftentimes it can extend to, um, you know, an animal and things like that. And when we're talking about property damage, that's the horses. Horses are considered property under the law, so it, it can exclude them from liability if they follow the statute right. But it's, it differs in each state. You always have to look at it if a, if a stable owner is your potential target and see whether they complied with what their state requires. Suzanne, I'm immediately like, as I'm listening to you, I'm immediately thinking about contractual limitations and other sorts of damages limitations. Do those come into play? Like, you know, and, and this isn't my arena, but for instance, with trainers and owners, are there agreements in place that you have to take a look at in, in that respect? Probably anybody that's gone horseback riding on vacation has had to sign a waiver and it's, you know, a lot of fine print, things like that. And there's this common misconception out there that these things aren't enforceable. Um, but, you know, if they're written properly, they can be. And, you know, early on, if you have a potential target that is, you know, some sort of an operator of a equine facility or, the people you're boarding your horse with, you need to really look at all the fine print early on. When I draft these for, for my clients, I always include a, you know, a waiver of subrogation, things like that. Um, so those things are, are out there and you definitely want to evaluate the contracts as quickly as you can uh, before you go too far down the road, you know, spending money with experts and things like that. So before we go, I'm going to give Dave my, my last horse. Yeah. I was hoping there would be a third one. Th I was this is the, this may be the worst of the three, but <laughs> where do you take a sick horse? Where? To the hospital. <laughs> that, that is <laughs> that the worst be the one worst of the three. One. That is yeah. definitely the worst of the three. Uh, th this, was, this was great, though. The jokes aside, <laughs> this was great. Uh, Suzanne, um, your expertise is, it really shines through. I uh, Obviously, we could spend all day with you talking about this um, and and get into the weeds on this stuff. But obviously with the podcast, we we try to keep it short, 20 minutes. And for those that do have um, an equine loss and want to discuss further and, and get into the weeds on this, certainly feel free to reach out to Suzanne uh, Radcliffe out of our Dallas office. Um, uh, but thank you for joining us. Um, yes, thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. Thanks, Suzanne. We appreciate you. You know, you kind of just scratched the surface for us. But it's definitely, I think, if, if anybody out there has questions, please, you know, reach out to Suzanne. Don't reach out to me. You'll just get bad horse jokes. But reach out to Suzanne, and she'll be able to help you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.